0: Hello, and welcome to Open Stance. I am Tracy Smith, and in this episode, I am joined by Triné Gonskar. Trené is a former elite gymnast from Lansing, Michigan. In 2018, the world watched in anguish as Triné stood in court and delivered a heart-wrenching victim impact statement to her abuser, the former USA Olympic gymnastics team doctor, Larry Nassar. Her statement went global within hours. Trené was 37 years old when she first confronted the realization that she too was one of hundreds of victims of childhood sexual abuse at the hands of her perpetrator, Nassar. It has been recognized that Trine is one of the earliest victims enduring an estimated 800 treatments beginning at six years old. Since the trial, Trené has joined forces with the Avalon Healing Center in Michigan as the Director of Development. Trené features in the HBO documentary, At the Heart of Gold, Inside the USA Gymnastics Scandal. In 2022, she is a guest on the Dr. Phil Show. And Trené was honored in 2018 at the ESPYs, one of hundreds of brave survivors receiving the Arthur Ashe Courage Award. Trené was named one of Glamour Magazine's 2018 Women of the Year and also has been featured in an NPR produced podcast called believed. Additionally, Trené features in the books, the girls by Abigail Pesta and start by believing Larry Nassar's crimes, the institutions that enabled him and the brave women who stopped a monster by John Barr and Dan Murphy. In this episode, Trené takes us on a deeply personal and intimate journey into her life after the trial when the international media frenzy dies down and life returns to routine. What happens next for Trine when she is left to cope with her truth as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse? This is an exceptionally raw and emotional conversation in which Trine shares the very human side of her trauma from childhood sexual abuse. She confronts truth such as coping with the immense emotions of guilt and shame, and talks about finding time to heal in the throes of family life, pregnancy, motherhood, and career. Ternay opens up about the self-destructive Band-Aid fixed behaviors, which can present in a survivor's life when trauma is unresolved. We hear from Ternay about the impact on her marriage and intimacy issues after assault and listen to her encouraging and profound belief in the power of connection to help heal. It is my honor and privilege to welcome this beautiful human and fierce advocate for survivors, Trine Gonsgar, to Open Stance. Welcome, first of all. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I know you're in uh, Michigan, so it's getting late for you, and you've just put your toddlers down. But just for our listeners, do you want to just give us um, just a just a little snapshot of you, where you're from, uh, where you're living, just so we know. Um, sure. Who we're talking to today. Sure.
1: Um, so my name is Trini Gonzar, and I am out of Detroit, Michigan. Um, I'm originally from Lansing, Michigan, which is where you know the ground zero was for the Larry Nassar case, the United States Gymnastics. Um, sexual assault predator that unfortunately for me um, was a super close friend of mine, as well as my coach, John Getter. Um, and for me, really, I, I was born and raised in ground zero of what happened to thousands of people. I know that there's really only, a, you know, 500 that have been recorded or have been um, part of our case, but there's several hundreds of others, and um, I'm the director of development now here at Avalon Healing Center, which is a comprehensive sexual assault program in the city of Detroit, so we deal with anything and everything from a two-week-old to 101-year-olds. Um, we provide services that are, um, you know, what people are referred to as the rape kit, Um, But we don't only do that. We do so many other different things, whether it's um, advocacy work, expert witness testimony, um, you know, HIV, everything, everything you can think of that we, that you could have when it becomes to assault, we deal with that. And how how long have you been at Avalon? It's almost four years, honestly. Um, I didn't expect to land there. I never woke up thinking I was going to work in sexual assault, but um, working in sexual assault fell into my lap. Um, It was not something I woke up thinking I was going to do. It just kind of happened based on how our case went and how I started to recognize what uh, resources were not available and how many people did not know where to go or what to do. And I was one of them. I, I had no idea. I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to find someone that um, was trauma-informed, particularly dealing with survivors of sexual violence. Um, I didn't know how to talk to my OBGYN about it. I didn't know how to talk to, I lied right straight to my mom, um, you know, and then really things changed for me, obviously with my impact statement, Um, And, and it was really based on his reaction to me and the words that I was saying to him. So, um, that's kind of how my journey started. And then, uh, you know, there's lots of back history to being a gymnast here in the United States, being a gymnast at that gym, being a gymnast under Larry Nassar, but also, you know, so many things that have happened to me now looking back make sense, um, that didn't make sense to me and what was happening to me and things I allowed and things that I was in and un- misunderstandings of certain behaviors or um, you know, just different things I didn't know because it wasn't until I was 37 years old that I realized I had been sexually assaulted my entire adolescent years. So
0: th- that's when we talked about doing this episode together, that's really exactly what we um, came to an agreement on. And um, for me, I've reached out to you um, this past year i've I've watched your story and i've watched 156 other gymnasts um, go through the through the trial i've read I have a stack of um, courage to soar fierce what is a girl worth start by believing. Um, i've done a deep dive into all of your lives from afar and one of the most um, resounding things that hits me every time is this story is so much about the abuser. And when you're talking about sexual assault and rape, Mm -hmm. um, there there tends to be, especially in your case, because it was such a global media frenzy around it, so much attention on the abuser and the perpetrator. And the survivor gets lost in that. And so today is such a special time that you've taken because we're going to talk about you, Trine you're a survivor. And as you just said, you didn't even recognize your childhood abuse until you were 37. Mm -hmm. Trini, what age
1: did your abuse start? Um, I was, well, I started being groomed probably about six. I was about six years old. Um, You know, gymnastics is an interesting sport because you either are one or you aren't one. And they can, they can decipher that very very early on and in my case um you know we were hand picked by john getter to be part of his team to represent what at the time it was great lakes gymnastics which then transitioned into twist stars um which is what most people know but uh we were great lakes gymnastics and um You know, I had a lower back and hip injury that I got bucked off course and had nothing to do with gymnastics whatsoever, aside from the fact that I had a difficult time um, doing a straddle, which is a pretty common element, um, whether it's straddle jumps, whether it's a kip to the high bar, you 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 straddle um, and my hip would dislocate. And um, that's when I really started to see uh, Larry based on my treatment for my hip and my lower back. Um, and so yeah, it started when I was eight. I was eight years old.
0: All right. And and so that's really where, so when one of the other things I see is you are one of them. There's a, there's a handful of you ladies, women um, that have this unbelievable international profile and recognition now as the face of sexual assault um, on the back of this trial. But But what we're talking about um, is you, you were a girl, you were a little tiny girl, six years old, seven years old. And Mm -hmm. so our audience today, um, I think breaking it down and and looking at the human side of this, where it's outside the Olympians, it's outside these elite gymnasts and these people that are at home that have never had a trial, they've never had an impact statement, they've actually never been public or even talked about their own assaults. They look at all of you as these extraordinary, courageous, brave leaders. And most of them say, I could never be like that. And so today, just breaking that down and saying, you know what? You were seven years old. You were just like all of these young kids, boys and girls that have also experienced this horrific, you know, sexual abuse in their life. So I think a really important place we can start is. The trial ends in 2018. The abuser goes to jail for life. What happens next? You are, what happens when the daily routine just picks up and the lights go off and the media dies down, Trinay? Tell us what happens, you're, who you are, where you are, um, and you're left with this lifelong
1: child abuse sitting in your lap in your normal life. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, the thing about our case um, is that we were the first. We were the first case to really shine a light on this topic and to bring that media frenzy and to bring this attention. Um, and so I think when, when people look at us as kind of this courageous bunch, um, really for me, when I stood in that courtroom that day, um, I was there for the little girls. I, I wasn't there for the Trini Gonzar that showed up. I was there for the little girls because I was watching one after another 15, 14, 16 year old girls uh, go up and speak their truth. And um, I, was re- I was watching the reactions uh, out of all of that and seeing, you know, he, he wasn't reacting. And, and at that time I thought to myself, if he doesn't react to me, um, first off, he's going to get punched. I will punch. I will run the bench. Um, Cause that's unacceptable. Um, but second off he's already dead. He, none of this matters really talking to him. It doesn't even matter because he's, he's gone. And uh, so, you know, I hid in the back of the courtroom. I was 12 weeks pregnant. I hid in the back of the courtroom because I was more scared that I was going to barf, vomit from, from pregnancy the, or from fear. Pregnant. yeah Yeah, from being pregnant (laughs) right um because that was a really real real thing for me yeah I had a garbage bin next to me I think that they all probably you know because you're barely showing at 12 weeks but I was um extremely nauseous and really was this your first child this was my first first child right wow first child and naturally it was you know in the middle of all of this I had actually moved just moved back from Puerto Rico when we got pregnant um realizing in Puerto Rico that I couldn't be in Puerto Rico and be dealing with all of this um you live in Pretty a tropical tough. island for, you know you just I wasn't having the fun I wasn't living that, that that experience for me had been been killed a little bit because uh I wasn't I wasn't finding the joy in it that I was any longer um so I get to the courtroom and. I think at that time, gosh, the Olympians are here. They're gonna take all the media. I don't have to worry about anything. But what I was mostly worried about, one was the young girls, um, but two was my old teammates. Those ones that start, that go back to that ground zero space. And there's not a lot of us. I mean, there's probably maybe 50 of us from that time. Um, And my impact statement went global in in a span of two hours. And so I was, I was really not prepared for that because I really thought the Olympians got this like this. I don't even have to worry. And people might see my face locally, but like there's hundreds of us. So, you know, how, how many can you watch?
0: And, and what um, made your, what made that impact statement go global? If you've got all the Olympians there and here you are,
1: what was, what was so powerful about that? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I wrote that impact statement over and over and over and over and and tweaked it and changed it because of, you know, people didn't want me to, my family didn't want me to say, I love you to him. There was going to be a concern right. that I was maybe, you know, that was going to be misconstrued in some way. Um, but. I, I went up there and I, I was, to be honest, terrified of Judge Aquilina. I didn't have a her name. So I, I flipped, you know, my, whole, my first interaction was really, bleh, bleh. I had that moment where she had to say to me, you know, you should probably just take a second, start over, um, because of my fear of her. And I said, to be honest with you, like, I'm here to talk to him. So if I could do that, if I could just talk to him, um, you know, that's what I'm here to do. Um, and... I looked him in the face and I, I, I told him the truth about how I was affected, how traumatized I was because I was team Larry. I was trying for so long to mentally believe that everything that he had done was in my best interest and, and that we were misguided somehow, or that the doctors were going to all of a sudden come forward and say, no, this is fine, all medical, you know, and that just didn't happen. And, um, so I, I really spoke to him, to his family, how he could do this to his children, how he could do this to his wife, who was in turn our replacement trainer. That's how they met. He was our replacement trainer when he went, she was our replacement trainer when he went to med school and, you know, she had big shoes to fill and she had to do a lot of work to gain our trust. Um, because you, you, you don't become the Olympic team doctor because you can take an a- tape an ankle well. You become the Olympic team doctor because you can take a broken ankle yeah. and make somebody compete well and still win, but safely. Uh, so I say that because you know, it wasn't, it wasn't always bad what happened in that gym. We were good and we were the best. And um, I competed on a lot of broken bones, and and was able to do that and still win. And so ultimately, in my in my gym experience, that was the goal. The goal was to win. And if you didn't win, you were shamed. And you know, that's a whole John Getter piece of things mm. that we can talk about in another space because really looking back now, I mean, he had such a piece of this. And had he showed up in court in support of us, you know, he could have walked away a hero. He could have walked away a, a real leader in the way to do things correctly. And instead we were there to fend for ourselves. And I wasn't gonna let those girls, those little girls do that alone. So I I wanted, and I think that at that moment when the world was watching his reaction to me because he was completely hysterical, sobbing his eyes out. I think it was the first time someone was not just a patient, not just a gymnast, but was a real, real person in yeah. his life that was speaking to him. And he, I don't think was prepared for that. And, you know, the world was, wasn't prepared for that because in a sense, I almost made a monster human.
0: You did. Yeah. And from watching from afar, it's exactly, you watch impact statement after impact statement and gosh, mm-hmm. there's seven days of them. Right. And, yeah, and then nothing nothing and then when you watch the impact statement you give he crumbles and literally Mm -hmm. it's he comes to life in the weirdest way so yeah
1: so well it it almost I mean you go from being like the villain even though you are the villain um and you portray the villain to all of a sudden people can see why maybe we were so close to him Mm. because that process took years to get that close to him. And that trust was gained through my family, through our coaches, you know, because there was a lot of other coaches that weren't John um, that, you know, called afterwards and said, how could I have done something? Could I have seen something? Could I have known something? And, you know, people have this heavy guilt when, when, especially when you're dealing with children of, of what did I miss? Could I have done something?
0: Yeah. So uh, that actually is um, such that ties into something we're talking about. What happens after this trial, right? And when you're you're back in your life, and one of the things that you hit really hard, Trine, in that impact statement is an immense sense of guilt. Now, this is something in the many years that I've been consumed in the world of sexual assault. It's such a common thing to hear from all types of survivors, whether they're men, women or children, parents, people around you is the guilt and where that comes from. It's such an unjustified guilt. And yet here you are talking about guilt and and what that does. So because it's such a common immense emotion that people deal with, and it's one of those that stays longer than most can haunt you for a very, very long time, if not a lifetime, what was the guilt you were feeling in that time? And do you still carry any guilt or how have you managed something so intense like that when you were seven years old and you've had a childhood of this abuse and how possibly can you feel guilty?
1: Well, I'll try not to cry in your show. Um, it's we're here to cry
0: actually. You should he- going back. I cried this morning before this show. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> This is probably the hardest part. It's not part really a
0: show that. though, is it?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's 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 the part of me that's so raw still. Um, I think mostly As I've learned about sexual assault, most survivors think when they've been assaulted that it was just them, right? Yep. And in the work that I do now, I've learned that most perpetrators are serial and that there's ones before you and there's ones after you. And they do intentionally try to make it you that you did this, you wore something, you did something. Perpetrators love to put the shame on you and the guilt on you um, because it's easier for them to get away if it's something you carry, right? It's something you're. Because you feel like, oh my gosh, I did this and I wore that, or I drank this, or I was here and, you know, I did all these things. And and for me, there were a lot of girls, a lot of teammates, a lot of people in my life, very close to me that came to me and said, I think he's doing something to me. And and I don't know if it's right. And I said, well, tell me what he's doing to you. And uh, he said, they said to me, you know, what he was doing. And I said, well, he does that to me all the time. So you're okay. It's, you know, it's, it's best for us because this is what I was told. And as a seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 year old, you know, I, I didn't know better from, from that. And even if you think about it, you go to the doctor for strep throat. I, I get given a medicine. I get told I have strep throat. I go home. I take the medicine for the days they tell me to, because that's what I'm told, right? That's what we're all told. You do that because you trust, especially when you're in immense pain or you're sick or you're hurting, that you want to make it better. So yeah. you do these things, whether it's a pill. I mean, my God, I think about the girl, the poor girl, the, the, the ice skater at 15, um, like what she could have been given by so many people and just taken it because she was told to, because she thought that, that was supposed to be what she needed to take, whether That's it's good. a vitamin, you know? So looking back at, at that experience for me, the guilt for me weighs in the particular people that told me, Yeah. Um, but then also to the ability then, had I not s- silenced to them, um, that maybe a lot of others.
0: Yeah, yep. So this this is where you are in your life now. And this is so important that we talk about it because these are the conversations that never happen and people live with guilt. You go on and life goes on. And yet these heavy, intense emotions stick with you. And they're the exact things, it's the exact intense feeling of guilt that will lead to the unhealthy behaviors that are gonna come at us a hundred miles an hour for many years if we don't tap into them now, and those are yeah. the self-destructive behaviors. That the list yeah. is a mile long. Whether it's addiction, self-harm, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders, cutting, um, abusive relationships, insomnia, mental anxiety, anxiety. Right. I mean, all so, of those things. So guilt is one of those that has this undercurrent where. It's so hard to talk about when you are in your life now, this is so important because this, this is every survivor's life. I don't know one that hasn't talked about some sense of guilt or self-blame. Sure. What, what are you doing about, because obviously you're aware of it. So that's a huge, huge step in the right direction, yeah. but it doesn't solve the issue of it. So right. do you have anything in particular that you do to manage it or cope with it, live with it? Or do you just let it
1: kind of sit there for now? You know, I've again, in my work, I've learned, and I repeat that I did not choose to be assaulted. It was the perpetrator's choice to assault. And people handle trauma in such different ways that the way that I deal with trauma and and the assault is very different than how somebody else is going to deal with that. Um, But what I've learned mostly is that when survivors feel like they have someone in their corner, they're much more likely to gain the courage either to tell somebody or to face some of these things and some of these heavy weights, because in most cases, it's a family member, it's a father, it's an uncle, it's an aunt, it's a babysitter, you know? And there's a lot of confusion for people when you've been assaulted because you assume you've done something to warrant that behavior. And really, you know, unless you wake up thinking, I'm gonna assault somebody today, you're not a perpetrator and the guilt shouldn't lay on you. And and we carry that guilt because we don't understand certain pieces of this, and that's what I've had to come to uh, working in this, and then also speaking out about it, is because I didn't choose to be assaulted. I, I never chose that. I didn't choose for the others to be assaulted. But what I did choose is to use my voice to give others an opportunity to use theirs when they're ready, if they're ever ready, even if that's writing something down or, um, you know, finding therapy, Uh, because when you see that others can get through it, you get a little bit of hope that you also can get through it because it's one of those things that will haunt you. It's like a gray cloud, it's a there's no, there's no surviving. You can survive sexual assault, but you don't beat it. Yeah. It's not like you eat cancer. Yeah.
0: It's it's something that will, it's an experience that will never go away from your life, but it's how we actually choose to deal with it that can change that experience in your mind, in your life, in your behavior. So you can take it from where you're stuck in the trauma, which is oh so common. And that's when Mm -hmm. all the unhealthy and self-destructive behaviors come in because you're stuck on the perpetrator. You're stuck on your abuser. You're stuck in shame and guilt and all that. mm -hmm. And you're stuck. Um, But then when the miracle happens and that little window opens and that little light of hope comes through, however, it comes to you through music, through books, Mm -hmm. through chats like we're having today, yoga, running, yes that's
1: that makes you happy really
0: grab onto that right grab onto that because the thing
1: is too is the you know the the part I think that's been the most difficult for me with with the healing piece is the unexpected triggers because Mm. it's like it's five steps forwards, two steps back and just when I think like I've got it you know, and then you get that trigger. And then that's really the part where I, where I'm having to learn how to manage those pieces because you, you get so far and you feel so strong or you feel empowered and then something happens Mm. and you you didn't expect it and it sets you back so much. And then there's a lot of shame and guilt in that, like, Like I (laughs) will never do it. I'm never going to be able to make it now. Look at me. I'm back at square one. And you know, that's, square one's a great place to be because mm. you can then go to square two and it's kind of three. like,
0: um, I have,
1: I fell into yoga a long
0: time ago and it was in um, a really rough patch of my own recovery process. And yoga just happened to be something that I started, but it was there for a reason. And I always remember the yoga teacher. I fall over all the time. I was a tennis player. I have the worst ankles from my ankle sprains, right? I can't stand sure. on one foot for a second, And I'm the only one in the class falling over all the time, the most basic thing. And he said to a class of 50 people, and I know he was talking to me, he said, every day is different. If you fall over, you're in the best place in this whole class because you get to try again. And he just kept saying stuff like that. And I went, right. And it just directly applied to the counseling I was going through and and all of that, knowing that one step forward and 30 steps back in sexual assault, trauma and counseling is what it feels like, but that's all right. And that was um, well, nice-
1: Even to your point with yoga. I mean, I, I transitioned into that too, just being a gymnast, you know, in my mind thinking like yoga, I'm going to go into hot yoga. I'm going to be so strong, <laughs> all these muscles. Right. And I took a teacher training class and, and my yoga teacher kept saying to me, you know, yoga isn't just about the strength. It's about the softness and being kind to yourself that, you know, you don't always have to hold your arms up for the whole time. It's okay to bring them down for a second. I'm Were her you her up like, like
0: this the whole time? Today? Oh, in chair, sitting there <laughs> yes. for like,
1: oh, I'm to keep my arms up. And then I'm like, why am I keeping my arms up? Yeah. Like I'm physically shaking. I'm pushing myself so hard when really my body is just telling me, bring your your hands down, for a second, you can put them back up. You know, it's like these things that you you feel like you have to be so strong in order to get through things. And sometimes, you know, you some minutes the strength is there, but that doesn't mean that it has to stay there or that it's going to always be there. It's sometimes just going back to that softness and saying, you know, it's okay to not be okay today.
0: That's the um, and especially in your world, coming from elite gymnastics. I mean, my God, you had to be the strongest of the strongest human on the planet really but what it breaks down to is being vulnerable and what the word softness is exactly the whole point of learning to be vulnerable and knowing the strength is in our vulnerability because from there that's where our walls can break down the bad Mm -hmm. walls and new walls can come up maybe there's a better word for that than walls but that's where the growth happens. Um, But it doesn't happen unless we allow that softness to build a foundation and and let that natural growth happen and and strength come from that. Well, that's what
1: survivors do really. I mean, survivors of any trauma, it's either, you know, and they take, you don't choose how you handle trauma. It Mm -hmm. is programmed in your brain. It is the neurobiology, the science of the brain of trauma. It's how it's, you pick, you don't pick, right? So you might think you see a car accident and you have no idea why you're laughing because it's not funny, but that's how your brain is triggered. That's a certain program and that's your natural response to trauma, right? But you build these walls to protect yourself and you build these shields to protect yourself because you think that that's the best way to protect yourself um, is to put up that armor. And I did that for a long time and I still do that some days because I you know I, I think I just have to stay strong and it and but it, it is worth it for me sometimes to remember how I got here because it hasn't been easy and it still is hard and these walls are still up and they're still coming down. and you know some days it's real easy and some days it is really hard
0: and Yeah, and and for you too, people have, um, again, for just people listening, this is something that has hit me really profoundly with your own, with your story, Trinae, is that I've seen you in the trial and I've watched you so closely um, since 2016, basically, 2018 and onward, where um, when I, just for people listening, things that you've done, I'm just going to go from memory here, but 2018, concluded that trial. Um, and since that time, in a, what is it, four years now, you have been featured in um, Netflix Athlete A documentary. You have At the Heart of Gold, At the Heart of Gold HBO. You yeah, have HBO. been um, at the ESPYs receiving the Courage, the Arthur Ashe Courage Award.
1: I was giving birth during the ESPYs. Yes, yes, you were. My child's <laughs> name is Ashton for the Arthur Ashe Courage Award. Amazing. Right. I was so, birth. Lucky uh, me.
0: So, and then that's, that's just half the list I've read. You've, you've done that many interviews. You've been on Dr. Phil just last month. You've, you haven't stopped. And then let's just take a little um, health pulse check here. You're a wife, you have two young toddlers, you run a program called the Avalon Healing Center, dealing with sexual assault survivors all day. Um, When do you have time to heal? This is such another critical aspect to deal with because in a very short time, only six years ago, did you actually even recognize that you were also a sexual abuse survivor and dealing with now this brand new knowledge that since six years old, you are a sexual abuse victim, survivor, but now it falls in your lap at this time in your life when you don't have one second to your name as a wife and a mother and a career woman. How do you possibly find
1: time for healing? How do you do that? Um, It's a loaded question really because I'm bad at that. I don't have any tissue. I'm sorry. <laughs> <I know. laughs> like no, the old you know, shirt I, I'm so sorry too. I, I really, you know, I've come a long way and uh, not much at this stage after all of the speaking I've done, I've, I've gotten to a point where I'm actually really good at speaking without crying. Um, but that particular piece about the guilt and the, and the girls that I silenced, um, you know, will, will always, I think yeah. live in me. Um, I have found um, laying on my floor in the bathroom at night when both kids are asleep and looking at Amazon right. is my, a form of self-care. Like shopping,
0: you mean?
1: Amazon shopping, shopping, awesome. shopping. Yeah. I mean, I buy, you know, and it's like stupid things. I don't even, it's not even like I'm trying to spend money just to spend money. I just don't have time to go shopping yeah. and it's easier for me to just Get the things I need to get at one in the morning when my child just woke up and I'm trying to, uh, my husband got me an inflatable hot tub from Costco um, because I get severe migraines and, you know, the tension and I I do get massages, um, but I'm really trying to get back into yoga. I write. Uh, Writing has become a really therapeutic space for me I didn't realize people really love my, my writing my yeah. writing. I don't know if you've ever read anything that I've written but
0: almost all of um, it
1: <laughs> almost all of it so, yeah. yeah and but people find that my uh my writing is therapeutic for them because it you know not only tells my story as far as how how I am just the same normal girl that could be any neighbor could be any sister could be any cousin um but I I also recognize, that it's going to take the work from me to put myself first and i know that one of a one major trauma response that is a result of sexual assault is to work harder and i find myself pushing myself to the brink of complete exhaustion and panic attacks because I'm not forcing myself to take those minutes of self care. And, you know, my husband will yell at me like, you cannot be up at one in the morning. I'm like, listen, my friend, I was up with our baby. Um, my breasts are hurting and I need some Amazon and he's like, Amazon it up, babe. Amazon it up because that the you know it's like I get this window and 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 I lay on the bathroom floor. It's like that simple. It's yeah. not even anything. It's just I lay there. I have this thing under my head, and I look at Amazon yeah. and just just to try to be normal, like a normal shopping person, a normal regular person that looks at normal things like yeah. a new toothbrush, you know, things like that. But but the writing pieces become really therapeutic because I find I write what's happening in my mind. And then I can go back and read it. And I didn't even realize some of those things I was thinking because they're, they're going so fast.
0: Yeah. You know, um, I love that because it doesn't have to be some complex type of healing that we go through. And for most people that are actually still in denial, maybe Mm -hmm. Um, maybe they don't even know like you, you were sexually abused. Maybe they're in that time. Maybe they're just acknowledging it for the first time. Maybe it's 20 years down the track and they still, um, there's so many obvious, not one sexual assault will ever be the same for everybody, but finding, and like you said, just tying this together, uh, the work has to come from us. There's no way around it. If you are a sexual abuse survivor, we have the responsibility. To do the work and it takes wanting to live and it takes knowing that believing that you're worth it there's two components that i pray that every survivor reaches that moment at some stage in their life because from there if you believe you're worth it and you deserve to live you want to live yeah you can work hard and work through it and rise above it and and move mm-hmm. um and sure. get healing But Breaking it down to those very basic things of self-care, which can be the stepping stones to to maybe that belief that you don't have at the time, or just if you have it, how do you take a step? Journaling. Um, How well do you know Rachel Denhollander? Well, yes. So Rachel um, is one of those amazing, strong voices that we've seen um, at the front of the Nassar abuse scandal. And in her book, um, it's such a lovely personal look at Rachel, which again, unless you read this book, Rachel, um, I'm going to, what is a girl worth by Rachel Den Hollander, And I'm reading it so slowly because every word matters to me in this book. Um, and I'm not really going through the part where she talks about her journaling. And it was at a time before, she, before the trial, she didn't know what to do with it. Her life was crumbling, and she was thrashing inside. And uh, you could just see the volcano was ready to erupt, and she didn't know where to go. And she turned to journaling. And what sure. you're talking about is what a wonderful thing to offer survivors as a way to, if you're scared to death to talk about it and not ready, take sure. a pencil and a paper and, and maybe give that a shot.
1: Um, well, I and thought, even bullet points, you know, like yeah. What do you do? What kind of writing? is possible, yeah. Like you don't even have to write. Like I mean, I write. Um, I you know I write my story just because I I keep remembering things. But I also bullet point things that I want to go back to that I I am exhausted. I can't even think about it today. Um, So I just bullet point things like, don't forget. I wanted to think about that. And then I can go back in a journal about that. But, you know, I think too, the other thing I've seen just with survivors is, is that it's easy to fall into those toxic um, behaviors. Yeah. It's easy to fall into those because they do numb, but they, they're a band aid. They don't get you past anything. They just Band-Aid the time. And the real goal is to take your power back and to not let the perpetrator win. And the only way for you to do that is to be able to go into a place that you can be safely, healthy, and know that you deserve deserve to live the rest of your life knowing that this wasn't your fault. Mm
0: that one gets me. And so many people are stuck there. Uh, this is, this is something I'd like to talk about today as well. And it it makes sense now shifting the focus from the perpetrator to yourself and you can't take back what happened to you. Um, but focusing on those good things and, and recognizing that if we slide back into silence, which or denial or whatever it may be, or pushing it away, thinking that time will just fade it out and erase it, knowing that's not ever gonna happen. And and these really super unhealthy, self-destructive behaviors, they do rise up. And um, a lot of times you just start working on those, whether you have an addiction or that, and you start going to get help. And yet you don't even realize that your core issue It's all stemming from the sexual abuse and the assault. So Mm -hmm. staying present with it. um, And again, this is in your life, how busy you are. How do people? you know, just making sure that you can find that safe place to keep your finger on the pulse of it, tap in and and whether you're writing about it or in yoga, feeling the balance or listening to music or reading about it, whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, but making sure it doesn't slide into silence where. That pressure is only just going to build and build and, and it will come back to haunt us at some yeah, stage.
1: Definitely. Well, in your body, your body keeps score. Yeah. And even if you, you don't realize you were assaulted and you let certain things happen or you, you didn't understand why certain things happened, but you let them happen and you're confused, you know, your body, your body still knows you were assaulted, even if your brain doesn't want you to know. And at at some some time, those are gonna creep up and you just wanna be able to know that there are others out there that are gonna stand with you. And and I feel like that's where I've gotten from my own particular experience is that the most people that are coming to me and saying, thank you so much, can you come stand with me or can you just Hmm. Share this time with me, and absolutely, I am here for that. Like, I, I find nothing stronger than solidarity because there isn't a single person in my life, not anyone, that I don't know that someone has a me too, or a he too, or a we too, or a she too. You know, there's no person in my life that doesn't have some form or friend or, or experience in sexual assault, and when you don't feel alone and you can have a community and people that will stand there with you, you know, you, you gain friends, you gain allies and you gain strength. And that's like what, what for me has happened because it's not just with my sister survivors, I know that uh, it's an isolated situation, um, but with the community that I work with, seeing the resilience of some of these survivors gives me the, mem- the r- reminder of, they're going to stand here with me because I'm going to have a bad day. I mean, I just had one of my advocates last week and I, maybe this is, maybe I'm like a floor laying girl. I don't know what that is, but she laid on the floor with me in the hall and we just (laughs) stood at the ceiling and, and like, we can't even comprehend what the day is. So she just laid right on the floor with me. We just laid there Yeah. and, you know, having somebody that just sees you and in solidarity, and, and maybe you don't have that person in your life right now, and maybe you're not ready to tell somebody, but but when you are, if the first person you tell doesn't believe you or doesn't do what you need, tell the second. If that person doesn't do it, tell the third, because I guarantee you somewhere along the line, you're gonna find somebody that's gonna lay on the floor with you. And there's no better place than to just have somebody that's just gonna just be. Yeah. We don't have to talk about it. We don't have to write about it. We don't have to do anything about it. But be just together, solidarity. Yeah.
0: That's support. You know, doing the hard work is um, you don't wish it on anyone, but the fact is mm-hmm. we have to do the hard work, but knowing yeah. and in this goes back to a little bit where we started um, those support systems and those connections that are out there now. And I know when I was 19 years old, (laughs) we didn't have the Internet. So um, it was like a black hole for me. Not only did I know nothing about sexual assault at 19, I also knew. Nothing. I didn't know where to go. Right. So when you when you talk about people now that don't have that support system, Mm It's really critical that we are here today sharing organizations like Avalon Healing and and finding every opportunity to get these organizations recognized and accessible to people. People that don't have sexual assault in their life, they will know somebody that needs this organization. We now have just countless extraordinary organizations all over the U.S. and actually all over the world that support survivors of sexual abuse. Um, You have all of the videos that you can go in the privacy of your home to just listen to people. Um, There are books written on it now. So it's an amazing thing to know that, okay, the work is going to be really brutal and you cannot sugarcoat that. But knowing you don't have to be alone and knowing yeah. there are people that are just out here waiting to help you rise up. And I, yeah. I just love that um, for you. I know your own job is going to be very tough and challenging at times, I'm sure. Yes. Um, but it's also a way you stay extremely connected for your own health.
1: Um, well, and, and it's a reminder why I have to stay in the light and why I have to stay in the hope. Because when we go to the darkness and we go to the dark side of that and we lose the hope, they win Mm. and I don't want to let them win. And if I can help somebody stay in the light or find the hope or bring more centers or, you know, be a resource or even explain to somebody what are the best things to do if you've been assaulted don't use paper or plastic bags put your clothes in paper bags I didn't know those things or Wait, you know so
0: what was that again
1: what was that if, it? if you've been assaulted and you've you're within the 72 hour window to be able to get a rape kit done an right. assault kit, put your clothes all of your clothes every single ounce of your clothes in a paper bag not a plastic bag. why why is that because of the uh, the mold and the, any kind of DNA gets changed based on the plastic consuming the DNA yeah. versus a paper bag.
0: Who knew? And what I if you know. don't, what if you don't have a, what if you don't have a paper bag? What do you do? I would say probably just put it in a box.
1: Right. Or something, something that's cardboard. Open. Yeah. Open. Something open. If you have a plastic bag, just leave it open. Talk don't about, tie it.
0: Wow. You know? And that helps with keeping the dna from yeah getting
1: corroborate or whatever the word is yeah. correct yeah you really want that to be as strong if you really want that to be strong and and you know even just little tips of you know for those out there that maybe have somebody come to you and say something happened to me how, how do you respond yeah
0: how do because you what's people- let's talk about that that's um that's huge and i've just run into that literally last week and 21 year old girl um, told her mom that she had been sexually assaulted and um, the response was um, not ideal. So what would yeah. you say, Trené, if this is so important for people that have a survivor in yeah. their life, what do you do?
1: Yeah, you I, it's a huge fear. It's a huge fear that people have of when we talk about sexual assault is is being approached by a survivor that's going to disclose that. And it doesn't, first off, you do not have to have the answers. Listening is your absolute number one best tool. Um, My best advice is to say thank you for sharing that with me. Um, I believe you first and foremost, and giving them back their power by saying, not what you think that they should do, but asking them, what do you want me to do from this? Do you want me to call the police? Do you want me to call your parent? Do you want me to, do you just want me to listen? I'm here to listen. Do we need to talk about this tomorrow? We can talk about this tomorrow. I, I'm here for you, I believe you. And you know, thank you for sharing that with me because I'm here for you.
0: And it's, it's really important. I wanna be careful how I said that um, the mom's response was not ideal. That was nothing to the mother because no one is prepared to hear those yeah. words from someone else that they are a victim Especially of sexual assault. That's mm-hmm. right. And there's nothing more horrifying, probably. So no one's equipped in how to answer that question or to, to handle that situation if you haven't had That's why this um, a little conversation like this. I mean, hearing
1: this, hearing just that is going to give people a tool. Yes. A simple, you know, dialogue verbiage of what to do if if somebody were to disclose to them and, and because it's, that one person that first person can literally make or break somebody's next steps to to that's right. going forward and and we it's not that we want to report we don't it, you know criminal justices can be it can be a troubling space to for survivors but reporting simply to get the perpetrator off the streets because they're serial they didn't wake up today thinking, I'm just going to assault you. Mm. There's ones before and there will be ones after. So when people start understanding that, that it's not just me. And if I can help some, prevent somebody else, that's when people start getting that desire to that eagerness to stop these perpetrators. It, and it,
0: it validates your own story too, because so many times as a survivor, you just there is that part of the brain that just puts you in the alone box straight away. You think you're the only one. It's never happened to anybody else. This is so shameful. What the hell am I going to do? But when you have any knowledge that somebody else has been a victim or a survivor of somebody, um, it, it builds that fire inside just piece by piece that okay, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And like you said, eventually you just, again, you pray to get to that point where you've got enough strength to say, yeah, now we got to talk about this and, and move forward. Um, now there is a guy that comes up all the time. His name, he's an attorney from California. His name is John Manley. Do you know, John? I do. Yeah, so John's represented many of the survivors in the um, in the Larry Nassar case, many of um, the, the former gymnasts. And I'm going to find this little bit I came across in um, Athlete A, actually, the Netflix. He was yep. interviewed there quite a bit and he featured in that. I'm just going to read a quote from him, which I'd just like to touch on towards um, the end of our chat here. But I think it's an important one when we're talking about Uh, childhood sexual abuse. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And John says, when you take the ability to love and express love from somebody and take it away or damage it, it profoundly affects their psyche. And at the end of the day, that's really what he did. He stole that part of them and they're all struggling to get it back and what he's talking about here ternay is all of you young girls were having probably your first sexual experience at the age of 6 7 children preteens and teens and when you talk to survivors of childhood abuse around the world is where does this sit with you what you were 6 years old and you've had to now look at this part of your life, um, from the intimate, um, aspect and, and you've gone on to have relationships in in marriage and, and childbirth and pregnancy and all that. So what piece of the healing is this for you? Or does it, does it, has it even come up?
1: It's definitely come up. Um, I was extremely terrified to give birth, um, because I was told it was going to be a very difficult process for me based on my injuries and that it was lucky that I got pregnant. Um, I found many relationships I was in, um, sexually, um, I did things that I didn't want to do because I thought I should be mm. doing things that I didn't want to do, um, and, you know, looking back at my 20-year-old self, uh, you know, a lot of those behaviors, again, I I just thought maybe I was broken, but I didn't have any idea why I was broken or why I accepted certain things. And, you know, it, as a 37-year-old woman at the time, when when this came out, I was already pregnant. Um, or going into pregnancy, and you know, my husband and I have had to go through extensive, extensive therapy um, as a, as a marriage based on this particular topic, because there are some days that I just can't get out of my head, and I feel heavy, horrible guilt being a wife and feeling like I'm performing an act for him because he has nothing to do with this and he has this side of him too where he says like I love you I'm not here for the act like I want to love you and I'm going to be here and if you don't feel good about this we don't have to do this and I'm like but I need you to get me pregnant like (laughs) right now I'm on virtual windows here, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's. I will say. Uh. It is possible. It goes in cycles. Mm. Um. Sometimes are wonderful. Sometimes I'm very present. My husband knows other times he says, we don't have to do this. Like you are not an object. You are my wife and Hmm. the mother of my children. And I know you've been through this. I haven't been through it. So I can't, I can't express, you know, how that must feel for you, but you do not have to do that. We do not have to do this. This is not about me. This is about us. And so, you know, we've gone through a lot and there's there's a lot out there for for sexual therapy. You know, there's a lot out there for uh, surviving after a sexual assault and being able to be sexually intimate and have relationships that are, you know, intimacy and 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 OBGYN. We are working right now with a practice for OB-GYN to be trauma informed because the majority of them in such an intimate space, you know, these. These women go in for pregnancy or follow-up care or, you know, just an annual, and they have no idea that they've been assaulted. And, and the providers don't know how to handle if they do get a disclosure. So there's just so many different pieces. And the thing is, is this opened up a can of worms, a, a, a billion can of worms yeah. of so many ways and places that need to be addressed that haven't been. And healthy sexual relationships, totally a topic that we need to be talking about. Um, and again, medical. it's so
0: sexual, you know, everything's taboo about sex still in life. It it's is. so hard. So here we are talking about sexual relationship? Assault. Yeah.
1: Because it, my healthy relationship sexually might be completely different for somebody else that's a sexual healthy relationship between whoever they're having a sexual relationship with. And either of those are okay, as long as the person is okay. And the people are okay. Um, and and did it, you find it, did you find it
0: was hard to find a, a therapist or counseling um, specific to this sexual assault, um, intimacy, and all those like? It, did you go specifically for
1: for these issues? No, no? I went for marriage, and as marriage has pieces of that being intimate relationship pieces um, you know there were conversations about that because the questions were to Justin my husband you know how is he handling uh, having to watch me go through this having to be my cheerleader having to be my husband having to be my best friend having to be my partner and then also still having to be himself and you know, those were questions he had been asked, but also questions I hadn't thought of about him that I, I, I would so focus on what I'm going through and what it felt like for me, that it was so difficult for me because I didn't know that he was so worried about me during all of these experiences sexually. Right. He didn't, I had no idea because he was so afraid to talk to me about it. And this therapist is, you know, that's not our focus as much, but it is a focus. Sure. It's one of the pillars.
0: And then because you actually work, um, at a sexual assault organization, what there's all kinds of say, um, teenagers and young adults that are not married yet. Um, but they are dating and having sexual relationships. Mm -hmm. And most of the time the sexual assault in their life is buried and they haven't dealt with it. So it's all just sitting in there. Yeah. Um, this is a really good time to talk to that and. What is something that we can bring to attention where we say, if you, you keep it buried um, or is, is this a good time in your life to, do you ask them to go get therapy or counseling when they're just living their life and working and they haven't even dealt with sexual assault or because it rears its head and it's going to come up. And then if it lands in the middle of a marriage, uh, it's it's not an easy thing to, to handle.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but you've been around lots of women um, that, have were abused as children, all of them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then what? Where Where do you go from there when these were their
1: first sexual experiences? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it goes back to those healthy choices and those healthy um, outlets. If if you fi- if you were finding that your sexual experiences are not healthy, um, those are going to fall. Fall in line of the things that are only going to be the band-aids, and those band-aids are always just going to be band-aids. They're never going to be um, supporting tools to help you get better. So, if you're using sex, which most do, um, as a mechanism of shutting out that that happened to you sexually, um, you know it's okay to step away from that for a time being it's okay that that happened it's okay that you were using that tool it's okay um but it's also uh it's also okay to say that i i want something else and i want more and i want it to be for the right reasons and i want to do it differently than how i've been doing it
0: yeah. and
1: i think that that's a real process that you go through you have to go through yourself because it's such a private um place in everybody's space so it's not something that you're going to share necessarily if you're extremely promiscuous and out there and having you know very casual sex with often with people and unprotected and you know putting yourself at risk yeah. um, and using it as a, a mechanism of just um, you know isolation or or satisfy satisfy status what's that Factory. Satisfaction. If you're using it as a form of of what you think is going to make you happy, in the end, we all know that you're walking away that it's not making you happy, and you're probably feeling worse about yourself. So don't feel like you have to continue that. Just and don't feel like you have to shame yourself because of that. Uh, Because really, uh, everything everything circles, and and you have an opportunity to walk away from that pattern
0: yeah we have covered a lot today that's really heavy stuff and i'm fortunately uh trine we've we've agreed on three parts with you because there's so much to your story and you have so much to offer so much to share that is so incredibly needed in this world that we're going to organize your episodes into three parts so this is part one which just getting the real human side of of who you are and talking to survivors straight up and, and families and people that have a survivor in their life. So this will be a nice place to just to wrap it up today. Um, and I feel good about that because we get to come back again and do this again. Yeah. Um, More to come. Pardon? More to come. More to come. So I just want to thank you for doing this. I know you have so much in your own life. You're healing. You're right in the middle of it, uh, and I know it's 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 tough for you. But what you're able to do and share is profoundly helping so many people. So thanks very much for taking your time tonight to do this.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Honestly, if if I help one, if I help one person, I've done my job.